It's late Friday night, and you know what that means. It's time for our tired episode. A 10-minute read of a story that is sure to help you create the calm that you need and to help you push the week's trials and tribulations out of your head and help you to fall into a peaceful night's rest. This season, my background music to help you relax is music provided by Nature Healing Society. This story tonight is called What Stumped the Blue Jays and it is by Mark Twain. Not just to let you know, it talks about animals, but it's just symbolism for writers of which Mark Twain is one. See if when I read this, if you could tell which one he thinks he is. Are you ready? Animals talk to each other, of course. There can be no question about that. But I suppose there are a very few people who can understand them. I never knew but one man who could. I knew he could, however, because he told me so himself. He was a middle-aged, simple-hearted miner who had lived in a lonely corner of California among the woods and the mountains a good many years and had studied the ways of his old neighbors the beast and the birds until he believed he could accurately translate any remark which they made this was Jim Baker according to Jim Baker some animals only have a limited education and use only very simple words and scarcely ever a comparison of a flowery figure whereas certain other animals have a large vocabulary a fine command of language and a ready and fluent delivery consequently these latter talk a great deal they like it they are conscious of their talent and they enjoy showing it off. Baker said that after long and careful observation, he had come to the conclusion that the Blue Jays were the best talkers he had found amongst birds and beasts. Said he, there is more to a Blue Jay than any other creature. He has got more moods and more different kinds of feelings than any other creatures. And mind you, Whatever a blue jay feels, he can put into language. And no mere commonplace language, either but rattling out and out book talk and bristling with metaphor too, just bristling. And as for command of language, why you never see a blue jay get stuck for a word. No man ever did. They just boil out of him. And another thing, I've noticed a good deal and there's no bird or cow or anything that uses as good grammar as a blue jay. You may say a cat uses good grammar. Well, a cat does, but you let a cat get excited once 
You let a cat get to pulling fur with another cat on a shed nights and you'll hear grammar that would give you the lockjaw. Ignorant people think that it's noise which fighting cats make when it's so aggravating. But it ain't so. It's the sickening grammar that they use. Now, I've never heard a Jay use bad grammar, but very seldom. And when they do, they're ashamed as a human. They shut right down and they leave. You may call a Jay a bird. Well, so he is in a measure, but he's got feathers on him and doesn't belong to no church, perhaps, but otherwise he's just as human as you be. And I'll tell you why. A Jay's gifts and instincts and feelings and interest cover the whole ground. A Jay hasn't got any more principle than a congressman. A Jay will lie. A Jay will steal. A Jay will deceive. A Jay will betray. And four times out of five, a Jay will go back on his solemnest of promises. The sacredness of an obligation is a thing which you can't cram into no Blue Jay's head. Now on top of all this, there's another thing. A jay can outswear any gentleman in the mines. You think a cat can swear? Well, a cat can. But you give a blue jay a subject that calls for his reserve powers. And where is your cat? Don't talk to me. I know too much about this thing. And there's yet another thing. In the one little particular scolding. Just good clean, out-and-out scolding, a blue jay can lay over anything human or divine. Yes, sir, a jay is everything that a man is. A jay can cry, a jay can laugh, a jay can feel shame, a jay can reason and plan and discuss, a jay likes gossip and scandal, a jay has got his sense of humor. A jay knows when he is an ass just as well as you do. Maybe better. If a jay ain't human, he better take in his sign. That's all. Now I'm going to tell you a perfectly true fact about some blue jays. When I first begun to understand jay language correctly, there was a little incident that happened here. Seven years ago, the last man in this region but me moved away. There stands his house, been empty ever since. A log house with a plank roof, just one room and no more. No ceiling, nothing between the rafters and the floor. Well, one Sunday morning, I was sitting out here in front of my cabin with my cat, taking the sun and looking at the blue hills and listening to the leaves rustling so lonely in the trees and thinking of the home away yonder in the States that I hadn't heard from in 13 years when a blue jay lit on that house with an acorn in his mouth and says, Hello, I reckon I've struck something. And when he spoke, the acorn dropped out of his mouth and rolled down the roof, of course, but he didn't care. His mind was all the thing he had struck. It was a knothole in the roof. He cocked his head to one side, shut one eye, and put the other one to the hole, like a possum looking down a jug. And then he glanced up with his bright eyes, 
and gave a wink or two with his wings, which signifies gratification. You understand. And says, it looks like a hole. It's located like a hole. Blamed if I don't believe it is a hole. And then he cocked his head down and took another look. And he glances up, perfectly joyful this time, winks his wings and his tail both, and says, Oh no, this ain't no fat thing, I reckon. If I ain't in luck, why, it's a perfectly elegant hole. And so he flew down and got that acorn and fetched it up and dropped it in and was just tilting his head back with the heaviest smile on his face. With a smile on his face when all of a sudden he was paralyzed into a listening attitude and that smile faded gradually out of his countenance like breath off a razor and the queerest look of surprise took its place. And then he says, Why I didn't hear it fall. He cocked his eye at the hole again and took a long look, raised up and shook his head, stepped around to the other side of the hole and took another look from the other side and shook his head again. He studied a while and then he went into the details, walked round and round the hole and spied into it from every point of the compass. No use. Now he took a thinking attitude on the comb of the roof and scratched his head with his right foot and finally said well it's too many for me that's certain must be a mighty long hole I ain't got no time to fool around here I got to tend to business I reckon it's alright chance it away and so he flew off and fetched another acorn and tried to flirt his eye to the hole quick enough to see what became of it but he was too late. He held his eye there as much as a minute, and then he raised up inside. Confound it. I don't seem to understand this thing. No way. However, I'll tackle her again. And he fetched another acorn and done his level best to see what had become of it. But he couldn't. Well, I never struck no such hole as this before. I'm of the opinion it's a totally new kind of hole. And then he began to get mad. He held in for a spell, walking up and down the comb of the roof and shaking his head and muttering to himself. But his feelings got the upper hand of him presently and he broke loose and cussed himself blank in the face. I never see a bird take on so about a little thing when he got through his walks to the hole and looks in and again for half a minute. And then he says, Well, you're a long hole and a deep hole and a mighty singular hole altogether, but I've started in to fill you, and I'm damned if I don't fill you, if it takes a hundred years. And with that, he went away. You never see a bird work so since you were born. The way that he hove acorns into that hole for about two hours and a half was one of the most exciting and astonishing spectacles I ever struck. He never stopped to take a look anymore. He just hovered them in and went for more. Well, at last he couldn't flap his wings and he was so tuckered out. He comes a drooping down once more, sweating like an ice pitcher, and drops his acorn in and says, Now, I guess I've got the bulge on you by this time. And so he bent down for a look. 
if you'll believe me, when his head comes up again, he was just as pale with rage. He says, I've shoveled acorns enough in there to keep the family 30 years, and if I can see a sign of them, I wish I may land in a museum with a belly full of sawdust in two minutes. He just had the strength enough to crawl up onto the comb and lean his back again, and then he collected his impressions and began to free his mind. I see in a second that I had mistook for profanity in the mines was only the rudiments, as you may say. Another jay was going by and heard him doing the devotions and stops to inquire what was up. The sufferer told him the whole circumstance and says, Now yonder's a hole. If you don't believe me, go and look for yourself. So this fellow went and looked and comes back and says, How many did you say you put in there? Not any less than two tons, says the sufferer. The other jay went and looked again. He couldn't seem to make it out, and so he raised a yell, and three more jays came. They all examined the hole, and they all made the sufferer tell it over again, and then they all discussed it, and got off as many leatherhead opinions about it as an average crowd of humans could have done. They called in more jays, then more and more, till pretty soon this whole region bare to have a blue flush about it. There must have been five thousand of them and some another jawing and disputing and ripping and cussing you never heard. Every jay in the whole lot put his eye to the hole and delivered a more chuckle-headed opinion about the mystery than the jay that went there before him. They examined the house all over too. The door was standing half open and at last one old jay happened to go and light on it and look in. Of course that knocked the mystery galley west in a second. There lay the acorns scattered all over the floor. He flopped his wings and raised a hoop. Come here, he says, come here, everyone. Hanged at this fool hasn't been trying to fill up a house with acorns. They all came a-swooping down like a blue cloud, and as each fellow lit on the door and took a glance, the whole absurdity of the contract that the first jay had tackled hit him home and he fell over backwards suffocating with laughter. And the next day the jay took his place and done the same. Well, sir, they roasted around here on the housetop and the trees for an hour and talked over that thing like human beings. It ain't any use to tell me a blue jay hasn't got his sense of humor because I know better and memory too. They brought blue jays here from all over the United States to look down that hole every summer for three years. Other birds, too. And they could all see the point except an owl that came from Nova Scotia to visit the Yosemite. And he took this thing in on his way back. He said he couldn't see anything funny in it. But then he was a good deal disappointed about Yosemite, too. And that is the story. Did you guess which one was Mark Twain? He was the one who did things a little differently. He actually lit and looked inside the tree and saw that the acorns were laying on the floor. And so remember, just because everyone is doing something one way, it doesn't mean it's the only way or even the right way. Dare to be different, be yourself, be unique. And until next time, Sleep well. Good night.